Hello and a very warm welcome back to The Gold Podcast. I'm Helena Beer, the editor of Gold, and I'm once again joined by my co-host and the assistant editor of Gold, Isabel O'Brien. How are you? Hello, yes, all good. Uh, having a lovely end to November. I've finally started doing some festive activities. Oh, exciting. Somerset House ice skating was first on the list. Oh, so, yeah, the I'm dream. Starting to, yeah, starting to feel a bit festive for sure. That sounds brilliant. I'm debating whether to put my Christmas tree up this weekend or next. It's very difficult to decide. I think it could be time. I think you might be right. Um, so, should we get on to the podcast? Let's get on with today. So what is on the agenda this week, Helena? Well, there's only a couple of days to go until December arrives. Um, And while that means we can start the much anticipated opening of our advent calendars, another festive treat for us. um, (laughs) The 1st of December also marks World AIDS Day. It does. And to mark that occasion, we're going to be bringing you a fantastic interview with Neka Nuokolo, who is Head of Global Patient Affairs at Vive Healthcare, a specialist HIV company, of course. Neka has racked up over 20 years of experience as an NHS consultant in sexual health and HIV physician in London before joining Vive Healthcare in 2019 as their senior global medical director. So an incredibly qualified lady to talk on this subject. Her experience as a physician on the front line of HIV care and her more recent pharma insights from Vive mean we couldn't pass up on the opportunity to pick her brains on this awareness day. Absolutely, and all that to look forward to. But first, as we always do, let's take a look at a couple of stories from the last week in news you might have missed. So Isabel, what's the story that caught your eye from this week? So yes, there was one standout for me this week, and that was an approval by the FDA of the first gene therapy to treat adults with haemophilia B. So CSL Burring's Hemgenix is an adeno-associated virus vector-based gene therapy for the treatment of adults with haemophilia B. The one-time gene therapy product given as a single dose by IV infusion consists of a viral vector carrying a gene for clotting factor 4 which is expressed in the liver to produce factor 4 protein, increasing blood levels of factor 4 and thereby limiting bleeding episodes. So we've obviously covered haemophilia a few times this year as there have been quite a few developments but this latest one really does take the conditions treatment to another level. And On that note, we've actually invited back one of our previous guests to give us his reaction. So let's hear from Lawrence Willard, director at On The Pulse Consultancy and a rare disease thought leader and advocate living with haemophilia himself. Hello, my name's Lawrence Willard. I'm the director of On The Pulse Consultancy and I live with the rare chronic bleeding disorder, haemophilia A, also known as factor VIII deficiency. Through a patient lens, rather than one as a clinician, scientist or health economist, which I'm not, in my opinion, the approval is an important milestone in the therapeutic journey of haemophilia care, one that potentially offers multi-year efficacy following a single IV infusion to increase protection from bleeding and the near or complete cessation of long-term prophylaxis of replacement clotting factor concentrates. Ultimately, the commercialisation and availability of gene therapy for haemophilia must be tempered by the absolute protection and safeguarding of the rights, interests and autonomy of individuals and their families in making an evidence-informed choice as to whether this is the right treatment option for them or not. 
Patient organisations and healthcare providers still have a lot of work to do around gene therapy literacy and education to support individuals to engage in the fundamental science as well as policy-focused advocacy strategies in the face of access challenges. Like I said, we did speak to Lawrence on the podcast earlier this year, so do check it out if you're interested in hearing more from him. We will leave a link in the show notes. Indeed, we will. Um, And sticking to the subject of rare diseases, um, Roche Cancer Research UK and the University of Manchester have begun a multi-drug precision medicine trial for paediatric and adult patients with any rare cancers who need more treatment options. Yes, this was a very exciting piece of news. So the determined trial aims to find out whether existing drugs, including those which are licensed for more common types of cancer, could also benefit patients with rare cancer types that the drug isn't currently licensed for. Dr. Matthew Krebs, who is the chief investigator for the determined trial at the University of Manchester and the Christie NHS Foundation Trust, commented, with the potential to change outcomes for adults, teenagers and children with rare cancers, this trial will be groundbreaking for a patient population who often feel neglected by current cancer research. So, as we mentioned, this week sees the global health community and others come together to celebrate and raise awareness for World AIDS Day. We've got our main interview coming up shortly, but first we wanted to share some thoughts from Claire Gillis, friend of the Goal podcast and CEO at VML Y&R. She offers some brilliant insights into the history of World AIDS Day and shares some particularly inspiring examples of patients enacting change, something that pharma can really learn from. It's World AIDS Day, 41 years since the first reported cases of HIV-related illnesses and deaths, and we've come such a long way. An HIV diagnosis is no longer the death sentence it was way back in 1981, or at least it doesn't have to be. Despite progress, there is still some way to go before the stigma, myths and inequalities associated with AIDS are eradicated. World AIDS Day is a reminder to the world that HIV is not gone away and it's our opportunity to raise awareness, improve education and unite the world to end that discrimination experienced by those who live with AIDS-related illnesses. It's also a time to celebrate the contribution the AIDS movement has made to patient care for pretty much every other disease too because that contribution is considerable. World AIDS Day was the first ever Global Health Day. It blazed the trail for worldwide health awareness and paved the way for other diseases to follow in its lead. But more than that, in fact, much, much more, the AIDS community started a patient movement that's fast becoming an unstoppable force across all diseases. It's a little known fact, but back in the mid 80s, ACT UP, AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, became the world first patient advocacy group. Its early activism was confrontational, but it was powered by an anger that if things didn't change, people would die. ACT UP forced the FDA to change its policy on access to experimental drugs. It persuaded pharma companies to remodel clinical trials so new drugs could reach patients quicker, which was critical. And in the process, it subsequently helped save or change millions of lives in every disease. ACT UP lit the blue touch paper for patient advocacy and we're reaping the benefits all these years later. 
patient advocacy groups are now some of the most influential voices in health. They're bite-sized powerhouses driving research, guiding policy, influencing decisions. Many are kitchen table operations, unpaid and generally uncelebrated, but their voices are being heard all over the world. Their influence is powering incredible change. Like the Al Capitoneria Society, where one dad went on a 20-year crusade to get an AKU drug approved and recently achieved it. Or Duchenne UK, where one mum persistently and successfully lobbied government to introduce new policy that secured care for all children with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Little voices, big rewards, big amplification. The patient voice is getting louder and stronger, but there's more that we can do to help spread the word. That's why in 2019, VMLYNR Health launched its patient partnership programme to provide pro bono comms training, mentoring and support to patient groups wherever they are. To date, we've partnered with 40 patient organisations, large and small, all over the world, to help them get their messages heard. And we've only just begun. The Patient Partnership Programme is all part of our drive for true collaboration across health. It reflects a power shift in healthcare where patients are finally and rightfully being part of the orchestra that calls the tune. And it's all thanks originally to the AIDS community starting a global movement in the 80s that, decades later, is giving patients the voice they so richly deserve and need. Thank you so much to Claire for sharing that with us. It just goes to show the power that people have, whether you're in healthcare, in pharma, life sciences, whether you're a patient or a member of the public, the difference people can make to research, public perception, stigma, ultimately treatments as well, and so much more is brilliant. It takes collaboration, passion and drive, and the examples that Claire shared there show that in spades. So inspiring. And next up, we have this week's main event, our conversation with Neka Nuokolo, who is Head of Global Patient Affairs at Vive Healthcare, as we mentioned, to mark World AIDS Day. So as we've said, she spent over 20 years as an NHS consultant in sexual health and as an HIV physician and joined Vive Healthcare in 2019. Necker speaks about the past year in AIDS research, including some impressive milestones, the need for and an optimal approach to medical education for healthcare professionals around HIV and AIDS so that they can support patients as best they can and break the stigma, and farmers' pursuit of prevention in this area. I'm really looking forward to hearing what she has to say. So, Isabel, it's over to you. So, Neka, welcome to the Gold Podcast. It is fantastic to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And thanks very much for inviting me. Absolutely. So we have invited you for a very special reason. This is our World AIDS Day episode and you are a bit of an expert in this area. So we thought we'd get you on to discuss some of the key issues in this disease area, some of the challenges and really ways that pharma can be helping. So, to start off with, I think it's always important to contextualise conversations like this. Um, so briefly, how significant is the global HIV and AIDS threat currently? I think the global HIV and AIDS threat remains uh, a significant challenge. I think 
part of this is actually because in many places where um, there is good access to treatment and uh, people are virally suppressed, the general public is not as aware of HIV as it used to be. And so although there remain challenges with regard to people in other countries having access to care and having access to really good treatments, there are still challenges in countries where treatment is available just because of uh, lack of awareness. And also, uh, certainly we're, we're finding this in the UK, um, reduced funding for the sorts of services, for sexual health services, for example, where um, HIV care is primarily delivered. So many challenges remain. Well, yes, thank you for contextualising that. And as you say, there are many challenges in this disease area. But before we reflect more on that, what have been some of the key positive milestones in HIV and AIDS this year? I mean, I think there have been several really exciting uh, milestones. And um, and I'll go on to talk about these in a second. I would also like us to come back again to to uh, some more of the challenges. But with regard to milestones, I mean, one I think that is really important and, and that um, kind of co comes along from what I just talked about with regard to the challenges is actually that there are increasing conversations about uh, people living with HIV in the general, in some populations, which strive to... Uh, raise awareness about where we are now with regard to HIV. And a really important component of that is the phenomenon of U equals U, which you may be aware of and, and which relates to the fact that a person living with HIV who has a viral, who is virally suppressed, so who has an undetectable viral load, is incapable of transmitting HIV to their sexual partners. And this is a tremendous milestone to me. It has transformed the lives of people living with HIV with regard to the conversation they can have about HIV, but also with regard to the sorts of relationships that they are now able to have uh, with people who uh, are not living with HIV. Uh, whereas in the past, there was always a, a worry in people living with HIV that they might transmit uh, HIV to their sexual partners. We know now that it is categorically impossible uh, for a person who is virally suppressed to transmit HIV sexually. So to me, that is as big as the availability of antiretroviral therapy. But there, there are also, but there've also been really uh, amazing advances with regard to the science of treatment, and we now know uh, much more about uh, how different types of treatment can affect the viral life cycle, and so we're in a position to um, uh, to attack the virus at different parts of its its life cycle, and we're also um, we also understand much more about why it's been so difficult to cure HIV. And there's a lot of work going on in this space now to look at different ways, new ways of approaching cure. So, so there have been really been, there've really been many advances in this area. Certainly sounds it. And we'll definitely come on to finding a cure for HIV later on in the conversation. But I would now like to take you back, as you were saying, to challenges. So hugely positive stuff this year, but what's been some standout challenges from this year as well? I mean, so the challenges are not just challenges from this year, but I think we've we've been articulating them much more uh, this year and maybe in the last couple of years uh, than perhaps before. And I think the biggest challenge is uh, the biggest challenge relates to uh, HIV stigma, and stigma is a huge problem. So UNAIDS um, has estimated that in the next twenty years there'll be close to 400,000 deaths 
uh, in people living with, with HIV that are related just to HIV stigma alone, so not related to HIV disease itself. And that's a tremendous, tremendous uh, concern. And stigma exists uh, both from the point of view of people in the community who stigmatize people living with HIV, but there's also this phenomenon phenomenon of internalized stigma uh, in which people living with HIV feel shame and feel stigmatized because they are living with HIV. Um, and stigma, whether it's internalized or external, has a huge bearing upon whether people um, seek care. And so, for example, a person uh, living with HIV who uh, knows their diagnosis, but who feels stigmatized or who expects to be stigmatized if they go to a health service um, is unlikely to, to, to attend a health service. And so is potentially unlikely to be able to access treatment, which then means that they will be unable to control the virus, which then puts them at risk of life threatening illness. Um, a person who suspects that they might have HIV, but uh, is worried about stigma and has not tested, may then be reluctant to test and so will never know their HIV diagnosis. So again, will not be in a position uh, to access treatment, again, putting their lives at risk. And stigma has an impact on people's experiences of seeking care when they do attend uh, health services. And unfortunately, a significant number or a significant amount of the stigma that many people living with HIV face comes from health services, which is, you know, completely unacceptable. Absolutely. I was reading a little bit recently about trans patients and some of the experiences they have seeking medical care. And I think this can be very tied in with that as well, and that they feel stigma for being who they are to go and see a healthcare professional Absolutely. and thus health outcomes are becoming worse. So yeah, I, I completely agree. It's a massive issue. Yeah. So I want to talk about medical education and healthcare professionals and what pharma can do, I suppose, um, on behalf of patients to solve this issue. So where is medical education for HCPs most needed? This could be geographically or topically. I'll, I'll allow you to interpret it as you wish. So, I mean, I, I think that actually um, the need for medical education goes across geographies, and I'm not aware of any any country or city or place in the world that gets medical education about HIV completely right. So um, amongst healthcare providers or healthcare professionals who treat HIV, um, there is, you, you might think that it, 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 it's, it's got right the whole time. But actually I'm aware of um, healthcare professionals who, who treat people living with HIV, who actually aren't necessarily completely up to date with uh, what's going on in the HIV sphere. And a particular area where I think healthcare professionals could do better, should do better, is in the dissemination of the U, U equals U message. So U equals U, as I, as I just said, relates to the fact that it's not possible to transmit HIV sexually uh, in individuals who have a suppressed viral load. And to me, this should be communicated to all people living with HIV so that they understand how empowering it is. And, and this is not, you know, aspiration or something that people say because it's a nice thing to say. It's something for which there is tremendous scientific evidence from, um, you know, studies of thousands of people living with HIV. But unfortunately, there are still um, healthcare professionals who feel, for whatever reason, that 
I, either they don't necessarily believe it or they don't think that it should be communicated to people living with HIV because it, it because they think it means that people will uh, you know not use condoms, for example, or may behave in a way that they feel is not right for whatever reason uh, they think that. And so they don't communicate this message. But, um, and, and so educating healthcare professionals, even healthcare professionals who, who treat people living with HIV about why it's important to communicate the message of U equals U is something I think that is really important. And so as pharma companies, I think we can really, um, you know, be helpful with this and support this by providing um, independent independent or pharma-sponsored medical education about the, the current situation with HIV, about uh, by encouraging people living with HIV to uh, be able to communicate with their healthcare providers about what their needs are so that healthcare professionals actually are responding to the needs of people living with HIV and to the actual needs of people living with HIV as opposed to what they think the needs of people living with HIV are. And as a healthcare provider, I, I say that very deliberately because as a doctor, I may feel that I know what my patients need, but, but the reality is that I, I cannot know what my patients need without them telling me. Absolutely. And I suppose there's there's ways that pharma can contribute throughout its whole ecosystem. Medical education would be one of them. But then we also have communications, um, which I guess is what comes into something like World AIDS Day. How can companies make tangible impact through a day like World AIDS Day? How can they go further than the LinkedIn post? Yeah, no, that's a really good question, and and I'm I'm very proud of some of the work that Vive Healthcare is doing in this area. So the first is a campaign called HIV in View, which seeks to show people and showcase um, the faces and the voices of people living with HIV to help people understand that a person living with HIV is exactly the same as anybody else in the in the general population. Um, and so we have images and voices of a diverse group of people living with HIV from all around the world, talking about their experiences, but also just showing them, um, you know, showing how they live their lives every day in exactly the same way that a person who uh, is not living with HIV does. And in the UK, we have, um, we're involved in a, in a campaign called Tackle HIV, which uh, we're doing in collaboration with a UK charity called the uh, Terence Higgins Trust and with Gareth Thomas, who's a very famous um, Welsh rugby player. And uh, in this, uh, we talk about uh, issues of stigma and, uh, and we give people information, provide information about HIV as it is now. And um, Tackle HIV has done many, uh, I mean, there have been sort of many uh, programs to raise awareness of HIV in the general public, both uh, on various world in various World AIDS Day uh, events, but also just generally throughout throughout the year, uh, in various um, in in various forms, just to just to you know to keep the profile of HIV high in the general population, to seek to understand why people in the general population have the views that they have about HIV, and to challenge those views because many of those views are are completely irrelevant to uh, the way that HIV is now. So 
At the moment, there are a number, I think you've touched on this, um, of very effective treatments for HIV, meaning that people living with HIV can have very healthy, long lives. But obviously, the end goal for pharma, the end goal for patients is to have a cure. Why is HIV such a challenging disease to find a cure for? Obviously, research has been underway for a very long time. I mean, a lot of the reason for uh, the difficulty in finding a cure is because of the complexity of the virus. So one of the, the main challenges is because the virus hides away in, in cells that are asleep, so latent CD4 cells. And as long as those cells are, are dormant, effectively, as long as those cells are latent, there's no way for the virus to come out of those cells to be attacked by antiretrovirals. And up until now, and in fact, even still, there has been no way of actually waking up all of those dormant CD4 cells at the same time, because that's what, what you need in order for all the viruses to come out and to be attacked by the antiretroviral treatment that a person is taking. And so until a way is found for latent virus to be woken up and to be um, and to be forced out of uh, the cell, uh, a cure is not possible. But there's a lot of work going on um, across many pharma companies, and Vive is one of those, um, in collaboration with research uh, institutes around the world and 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 clinical researchers to look at how to how best to do this. How do you wake up these latent cells to force the virus out? And how do you stimulate the immune system once the virus comes out to attack um, to attack any virus that comes out in conjunction with effective antiretroviral therapy? So it remains a challenge, but it is but it's a, a challenge that. Uh, is being looked on, um, you know, looked at very carefully and and very closely. But one question that that often is asked is, well, how long will it be? And I think that it's impossible uh, to, to to predict exactly how long, um, except to say that I think that 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 we are getting ever closer. And finally, Neka, I want to end our interview today by asking you about what you hope is achieved between now and next World AIDS Day. Obviously, you spoke about some of the great stuff that happened this year and a lot of fantastic possibility just then. Um, so do you have anything you'd like to see in the year ahead? I think what I hope is probably unrealistic. So so I think what I would say, so thinking about what, what things are realistic, I mean, I would really like for, for conversations about HIV to just be mainstream in the general population for people to understand that, first of all, there is nothing to fear from people living with HIV, that HIV is a, is a, is a condition that anybody can get, that there are not specific kinds of people who, who, um, who catch HIV. Um, I, I would like people living with HIV to feel comfortable about declaring their HIV status in public, to not be worried about telling their employers or their friends or their partners that they're living with HIV and not to fear judgment from, from the people who they tell. I would really like healthcare professionals to think very carefully about the way that they talk to and talk about people living with HIV. The language that people use is, is so important. And you don't, you don't just have to physically do something to a person living with HIV 
uh, for them to feel stigmatized. The way you talk about them, the way you talk to them is tremendously powerful. And I think that it's really important that we think about these things uh, as we interact with, with people living with HIV every day. Neka, thank you so much for that. So improve understanding and breaking the stigma. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Some fantastic insights from NECA there. Really good to hear how pharma can help HCPs in supporting patients with HIV and AIDS. And perhaps some of her tips can be translated to other therapy areas too. Absolutely. A really fascinating interview and so glad we got to commemorate World to AIDS Day on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm afraid that is all we have time for, though, this week. We'll be back next week with another brilliant episode, which offers a sneak peek at our next Catalyst interview, which this time is with John Warber, medical head of the Global Digital Hub at GSK. And remember to look out for the next edition of Gold, which will be published on the 8th of December, just in time for a pre-Christmas pharma fix. And as for the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe, as we always remind you, so you don't miss out on next week's Catalyst episode in particular. And on that note, it's goodbye from us. See you next week. <laughs>